Hi, I'm Christy Lee, the creator of Canadian True Crime. Join me for an immersive deep dive into some of the most thought-provoking true crime cases in Canada. Using facts curated from court documents, inquiry reports, and news archives, I carefully unravel and analyze each case, exposing the pitfalls of the criminal justice system that everyone needs to know about. Find Canadian True Crime wherever you listen to podcasts or visit canadiantruecrime.ca. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. When I first began researching Lisa's story years ago, one of the first things I set out to do was to speak with people who were there with Lisa the night she vanished, to find out what was going on that night at the Jungle Nightclub and afterwards. I interview her dad, Don Young, who had a beer with Lisa and watched TV together that evening before she went out. Lisa was going out with her friends for somebody's birthday and she came over and I was watching a hockey game or something. We, she, her and I were really close so she hung out for a while and we had a beer and she said, okay, I'm going out with my friends and that was about it. I speak to a young woman who worked at the jungle and was there that night. Uh, do you remember the, the jaguar? Uh, the guy in the jag was kind of cruising by. I sit down with a reporter, Kendall Hansen. And so I interviewed Dallas in August of 2002. Sure enough, it's Lisa on her cell phone. I call her back. She goes, Dallas, uh, I don't know what's going on. This guy won't bring me back. But up until now, my knowledge of what exactly transpired after the jungle has been thin. Now, finally, in this episode, you'll hear from one of Lisa's friends, who was with Lisa at the after-parties that night. He spoke to police back then, but he hasn't shared his story publicly till now. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Where is Lisa? Island Crime, Season 1. This is the Hot Tub Time Machine. Meet Jason Goodman. I'm Jason. I live in Nanaimo. I work in sales. He believes there is too much secrecy around Lisa's disappearance. More than 20 years on, he wants to talk about what he knows happened that evening. 100%. 100% open to that. Like Lisa, Jason is in care for a time. He describes himself as rebellious, and he bounces around between family and homes before moving in with Dallas Holly's family as a teen. Jason and Dallas were close, like brothers. We were basically attached to the hip, you know, playing video games and, you know, do, do, just doing teenager stuff. Just, you know, going out, skateboarding, got our first cars, got our, you know, we worked together, our first jobs, that kind of thing fighting over the same girlfriends, catching the same school bus. His fondness for Dallas is clear. An amazing guy, big heart, always there to help. He went through a rough patch near the end there. But uh, overall, I mean, just just loved animals, loved loved life. He's a life lover, you know. Get up in the morning, it was all smiles. Very seldom did you see him on the negative end of the stick with, you know, not being happy. And if it was something, he could usually find a way to brush it off relatively quickly you know he make he would brighten the room if you you know 
you had 10 people sitting in a room and he showed up, it was always, whoa, Dallas is here. Like, wow, Dallas. And everybody would want to demand his attention because he was so good at showing his attention, you know, and, and genuinely showing it. In fact, his description of Dallas reminds me a little of how Lisa's friends felt about her. It wasn't a farce. Like, he cared about you, cared about what you were doing, um, you know, how your family was, how you were doing. And he remembered that stuff, too. You know, wouldn't see the, you know, not me. I would see him all the time, but I would watch and he wouldn't see somebody for, you know, a year and run into them again. And he'd remember the last thing they talked about and, you know, pick pick up that conversation and, and check in on those points. Questions have been raised about Dallas. Did he know more? Was his information reliable? And so hearing Jason's perspective on Dallas is helpful. But it's his detailed description of the first two house parties Lisa attends the night that she goes missing that is most eye-opening. I was there that night. And I can tell you 100% what he said is what happened. Dallas, and of course Lisa can't tell us their version of events. Christopher Adair has chosen not to speak publicly about that night. And so Jason is the first to share his story. I wasn't there, but his description is consistent with the known facts of the case. I begin by asking him to step back in time, to think about where he's at in his life back on the Canada Day weekend, 2002. Yeah, we're done with high school. Everybody's working, you know, their first jobs or I'm working my first jobs and kind of just, you know, learning the way of the walk of being out of high school and, you know, having your own place and being a, you know, a young adult, you know, out of your teen years. But we were we were fresh out of the nest, so to say. Jason is working at a grocery store. He's moved out of Dallas's family home. It's the Canada Day weekend, and he and his friends are partying. I was with a couple other friends originally. We went to a small house party, and when I say small, you know, 10, 10 people, I don't know what people consider a small house party these days, but back then, that, you know, that was just a gathering. Jason and Dallas are in touch that night. Remember, it's now Dallas's birthday. And when Dallas and Lisa and their other friend Ryan leave the bar, they are keen to hook up with their pals and keep the party going. It is Christopher Adair, a.k.a. Red Jag Guy, that offers to drive the friends to meet Jason and the others. That was in Harewood. Um, We were there. There's a hot tub. We're all having drinks and whatnot. And then Dallas showed up to that house party with Lisa, another friend of ours, And this guy we'd never met, the Red Jaguar guy. It's now the early hours of Sunday, June 30th. Jason remembers being a bit surprised to see Dallas and Lisa together. We all kind of, you know, just, you know, bullshitting a bit. And uh, I remember uh, remember seeing uh, Lisa with Dallas, which is a little bit odd because I didn't know that Dallas and Lisa knew each other that well. I knew they knew were familiar with each other. I've heard rumors that they dated in the past. I don't think that's the case, but. Um, but he's like, hey, you know, Jay, check out who I found. I'm like, oh, sweet, Lisa, how you doing? Because Lisa and I had actually been hanging out quite frequently right around that time uh, up at our apartment. So I had a different friend who was a very close friend of mine as well who had, a, you know, an interest in her. So I was kind of wingmanning up to the apartment, uh, 
hang out and because uh, she had a roommate, Lisa had a roommate there. So the four of us could kind of intermingle. So it was just weird to see another one of my best friends with Lisa. And, you know, there was definitely some affection there. And I was like, okay, this is a little bit odd, but whatever. You know, we're all young. Nobody's dating or engaged here or anything. Jason's friend is interested in Lisa. And so Jason has been spending time at her place. I knew Lisa for years. It just, like I said, around the time, it was it was just odd to see Lisa with Dallas because another close friend of mine was, you know, making his best to date Lisa. His, his, first, his first name is Rob. So we would go up to Lisa's place, hang out, you know, whatever, you know, a couple times a week. Nothing ever, nothing ever came of it from, from them. Like, there was no relationship. Nothing ever happened. Just because the other friend that I'm talking about was making his best to try and have romantic relations with her. And then Dallas shows up to the party with Lisa, and uh, they were pretty affectionate. Affectionate can mean different things to different people. Jason sees something romantic developing that night between Dallas and Lisa. Very, very flirty. They, you know, you could tell they've been drinking. They were definitely finding each other attractive. Who knows what could have happened beyond, you know, if if, if Lisa hadn't have, hadn't have left. But it just, you know, you could see that things were the, the mix was there. They were, you know, hang, you know, huggy and and kissy, but not like get a room type stuff. But it was very, they were definitely interested in each other. He says that he and his other friends, Ryan and Wade, who were there that night, were all friends with Lisa. No one else had romantic intentions towards her. But then there's the new guy, Christopher Adair. Here's what Jason can recall about meeting Chris that night. The best way I can describe it is that he looked more professional than than us. Like he had his fancy car, he was dressed up, but maybe it was just for the bar. He was clean cut. He was more sober than I would have been leaving the bar. Just just he had nice nice clothes on. He wasn't ratty, you know. Like he was dressed nice. He was a polite guy. He made eye contact when he spoke. He he had a genuine feel about him. He 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 definitely was uh, like straight laced sober ish like he might have had a couple drinks but he wasn't like Dallas and and my other friend and and Lisa there like you could tell they've been drinking everybody you know you said Dallas and Lisa were were lush the Harewood party is now winding down but the friends are keen to keep the fun going I mean back then the party didn't really ever end it was like where where's the next party you'd wake up in the morning and it's like where are we going tonight? Who are we meeting up with? You're already phoning people, you know, especially if it was your day off. Even if you worked, you got off at 4 p.m. It was like, you know, by 6 o'clock, you were already driving to see where we were going. You know what I mean? At the hot tub party, it was a couple of us in the hot tub. They, Lisa, Dallas, and uh, uh, my other friend and the Jaguar guy, they didn't go into the hot tub because they came to the party. So they were like, you know, still dressed and whatever. And we decided pretty quickly to go back to the to another friend of mine's house who also had a hot tub. So we're like, let's go back to his place. There's a hot tub there. This party's shutting down. His mom's out of town. We got, you know, we can sit in the hot tub all night. We don't have to worry about the party going. Um, and then we'll, uh, you know, everybody can go home in the morning when we're sobered up. And at that point, we shouldn't have driven to the other house anyway. But we were, you know, some <laughs> not as drunk as, as we were later. So we leave this party. We weren't there very long just enough to 
collaborate on our new plan, get introduced to this new guy, Red Jaguar guy, who we hadn't met, but he's a new guy, you know, decent looking, seemed polite. So we kind of, you know, what are you all about? You know, I'm this guy, I came from the bar. We all hung out there for not very long. I mean, this is after the bar closed. So it was already pretty late and we were, we were definitely, you know, <laughs> inebriated. At this point, Lisa leaves the Harewood party, accompanied by five men. Jason Goodman, the man who's telling the story. His friend, the late Dallas Hulley. His friends Ryan and Wade. And the new guy, Christopher Adair. Jason recalls getting out of the hot tub and heading to the next party. I was in the hot tub with my other friend, uh, who, whose house we went to after the party. His name's Wade. So yeah, we were just in, like I said, in the hot tub. When they got there, we got out, got dried off, got dressed, mingled for half an hour with Dallas and Lisa and Ryan and, and the Chris fella. Uh, and then we were like, okay, well, let's go back up to Wade's place because we've got the hot tub there. That party's not going to shut down. We, you know, it's no nobody's there to give a shit. So we... uh Basically, Wade, myself, Lisa, Dallas, Ryan, and Chris got in two vehicles and went up to Wade's place. I mean, at that point where we're going the second place, I wouldn't say that was a party. It was me, Wade, you know what I mean? It was all, all friends except for Chris. Like, everybody knew each other except for Chris, the five of us. We all were very, you know, we're all very familiar with each other. This next smaller gathering is out in the Cather's Lake area. A little lily pad filled lake still in the city. The group splits into two vehicles Chris, Lisa, Dallas, and Ryan in Chris's car, Wade and Jason in another. So we got there. The, the, the driveway is it's a three story type house, and you got to go down to the basement. Uh, around like this uh, walkway around the back where the big porch is down there where the hot tub and stuff is. There's a main floor. So we're parked in the driveway at the main floor. And uh, I don't know, we were out in the driveway for quite a bit, uh, cracking beers and kind of BSing out there. And then we're like, well, you know, let's head down. And and uh, there's a pool table. Let's play some pool, you know, have, go in the hot tub, whatever, hang out. It's at this point in the story where I sincerely wish the hot tub Jason is describing really was a time machine. That I could turn back time and see Lisa and her young friends make different choices. You may recall from earlier episodes that Lisa is a vegetarian. She wants something to eat. Lisa's like, well, I'm hungry. And then Wade's like, well, let's barbecue some food, right? And she's like, well, I don't eat meat. And then it was like a debate about what we could make there that she would eat. And she just was not having that. She was like, I don't want that. I don't want the food here. You know, I want uh, I want Subway. They, they have a vegetable sub there. And then Chris was like, yeah, I'll drive you down there. It was, it was all nonchalant. It was easy. The Subway's not too far. We were like, oh, you know, that sounds like a good idea. You know, do you guys want anything? Nah, nah. You know, we'll just eat the barbecue food. Then she... Hopped in with Chris. Chris has had her in the car. Uh, we're at that point. We figured they're going down a subway to get a vegetable sub, and we'd see them in twenty minutes. It's Dallas's birthday. He and Lisa are hitting it off. They've been flirting, affectionate, 
And now she's just left him high and dry with his buddies while she takes off in a fancy car with a slick, good-looking guy. I wonder how that sits with the group. Well, I'll, I'll say I'll say this. I think that I don't know if Chris had romantic intentions for Lisa, but I think Dallas saw Chris as a bit of a cock blocker in the situation. He was deaf. There was definitely like there was one girl, right, and four young guys. Wade and I not interested. Ryan none or five young guys. Sorry, including Chris, Ryan, Wade, myself. I know Lisa. We're not doing that. She's my friend. But uh, you know, Dallas was definitely, you know, had, had some romantic engagement going on. It's his birthday. They're drinking, and I don't. I never saw anything between Chris and Lisa where there was like you know touching or or flirting. But you could tell there was definitely an animosity that that Chris you know wanted to uh, to be in Dallas's shoes. Let's put it that way. From the moment I first saw Lisa's beautiful picture. I wondered if her good looks had put her in some danger. And here it seems there is some evidence that tension had developed between the two men over Lisa that night. Very, 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 very beautiful. Very, very nice person. In their youth and in the haze of a booze-fueled night, they see nothing untoward about what is happening. Chris is like, I'll just rip you down there. And uh, basically the four of us went... uh, down to the basement to go get the the hot tub lit off and get the barbecue fired up and the beers in the fridge and that kind of thing. So, so we, yeah, we, we went down there. They, they left to go off to the subway. In hindsight, it seems a little reckless. But back then... None of us really thought anything of it. The guy... I don't know. It, it's hard because maybe we should have thought something of it, but it just... It, it was so innocent. It just... It was a normal thing for somebody to be to rip off the subway, and it was normal for us to not care who we were going with. Like I would have just as likely jumped in, and you know, I'm a dude, so it's probably not as dangerous of a situation. But it, no, you know what I mean? It, they, it was just like, okay, you know, she was confident. They, you know, seemed like this guy was cool. Everybody knew each other. We're good. Go, you know, we'll see you. Get your subway. Confident. It's how Lisa's father and all her friends describe Lisa. It's exactly it. She's she's confident. She was sure of herself, uh, especially if it was in the situation. And she's she was a smart girl, so I'm sure that in her own mind, and I mean, we all felt the same thing: is that this guy wasn't there was nothing wrong with him. So it's fine. If she had read it differently, she wouldn't have gone. None of us read it that way. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. What is Lisa thinking as she gets into Chris's car and heads for Subway? That's a question that will never be answered. 
But according to Jason, Lisa is in good spirits. And although she's been drinking, she's in control. I mean, I don't have my serving it right, but I probably still would have served her another drink at the bar. But, you know, it's the middle of the night and people can show drinking differently as well. But she wasn't susceptible drunk, if, if that's kind of what you mean. It was She was, you know, she was, she had her head about her. Chris and Lisa have left the Cather's Lake gathering behind. As far as Lisa's friends know, she'll be back soon after a quick trip to the subway. Wade's place has a pool table, couches, a fireplace, and yes, it has a hot tub too. The guys put their beer in the fridge, get the lid off the hot tub, and settle in. But after a while, they begin to wonder, where is Lisa? She either called Dallas or Dallas called her, but we definitely were. It was right around that time when we're like, you know, this is taking a while kind of thing. Um, I have, I, if I remember correctly, it was Dallas that had called her because like, what's going on kind of thing? Like, what are you doing? Jason is close to Dallas as this conversation is happening. Yeah, we were all like in the, because there was no music, so you could hear the phone. It wasn't on speakerphone, but we were all sitting around the, Dallas is in the easy chair and we were all kind of like hanging around the, the phone. The first phone call, not as much. I heard most of the phone call. The other guys <clears throat> were off doing the, the, by the pool table. He too cares about Lisa and is listening in to what's going on. Called, uh, called Lisa's cell phone. Lisa's like, yeah, we're, um, they're, they're at Subway. She, he wants to go to another house party. She doesn't want to go to the other house party. We're like, okay, well, do you want us to come and get you? Because the subway's not that far from where Wade's house was. It's it's a fifteen minute walk, uh, maybe a twenty minute walk. Um, she's like, "Nah, n- don't worry about that. I'll get it sorted out. I'll you know I'll deal with this guy, whatever. I'll get back up there." And then she's like, "And then we're like, do you want to catch cab? That kind of thing." She's like, "No, no, no." She's a you know she's a firm girl when she's she she thought she had that under control at that time for sure. She's like, "I'm gonna you know I'll, I'll deal with this, whatever." So, how does Lisa sound on this first call with her friends from the Red Jag? Annoyed. She sounded annoyed. She's like, this, he, <clears throat> he wants to go to some other party. I don't want to go to the other party. I'm telling him I want to go back up to see you guys, um, which makes me, like, I don't know no, what happened after beyond the, the phone calls, but, like, you could, all I can picture in my head is, oh, this Chris dude just doesn't want to bring her back up because uh, Dallas and her are super flirty, and then it just puts him back out of the picture, right? Like, that's, in my mind, that's what I was picturing, is this dude's just, if you take Dallas out of the equation, then it's then he can be the flirty guy, you know what I mean? That's So that's what I was picturing, like, oh, the, he's just being a dick and and wants to not let Dallas be around Lisa. And then... And then she called back again because we we're like, okay, whatever. All right, you know, we'll see you in a bit. The first phone call wasn't so much. Like I said, he was like, okay, well, you know, you know, I'll call you back kind of thing. Let us know what's going on. We need to know what's happening. And then hung up. And then, you know, he reflected that, you know, he wants to go to some other party. Oh, and then, you know, everybody's laughing. Oh, you, looks like uh, looks like your date's going to go out with a different guy. Ha, ha, ha. That kind of thing, right? And uh, then, yeah, then they, then, then she called back and she's like, I'm at, uh, we're at a party on Bowen Road and the, the guy won't drive me home. He's not going to drive me home. 
Um, again, it's like, well, what, what are we going to do? She's like, somebody come and get me. But at that point, nobody, like there was a, Chris had the vehicle and the rest of us were beyond being able to drive. Like not legally, like, I mean, beyond being able to drive. It's impossible not to think if only. I recall Lisa's father, Don, relaying this story to me and how he regretted that Lisa called a party with a bunch of drunk guys for help. As far as I know, that's what she said. I'm in the car. He he won't let me go um, back to your guys' place. We're at this party. I don't want to be at this party. I want to come back up to see you guys. And we're like, well, you know, where are you? She's like, I don't know. I'm, I'm on Bowen Road at the house party or at some party. And we're like, well, where is the party? Like, should we come and get you from there? Do we, does it, should we get, do you need a cab? That kind of thing. Uh, just trying to c- communicate like how we could get her there because we can't drive. And she's like, no, well, you know, somebody come and get me. Somebody, you know, help me, just get me out of here. That is essentially what the end of the phone call was. Help me, get me out of here. Jason described Lisa's tone on the first call as annoyance. But by the second call? The second call was definitely not just annoyance. You could tell there was more concern, but, and I don't want to play it off like there would, like she, but it, it wasn't like she was like, hey, I'm handcuffed. They're going to, you know, I, I'm trapped. It was more like, he won't let me go uh, back to the party. He won't let me out, uh, go to the party. He like, not that he was like restraining her, but it's like, he refuses to let, to drive her anywhere other than this party. And I'm, you're on Bowen road now and you're stuck with me or, or figure it out type of thing. And what does Jason know about the Bowen road party? I don't know who was at that party. The, the only person I know that was at that party was Chris and her. And I don't even know if she actually went into that party. I just know that she was at that house. She, I mean, what happened beyond that is beyond my knowledge. So why didn't Jason, Dallas, Wade, or Ryan help Lisa that night? We were all still under the impression that uh, Lisa's a, you know, not strong physical girl, but strong enough to be like, hey, whatever, and either walk back and call us and meet us like a meet halfway thing or Bowen Road's not far from Country Club and she had to move the next day so at the same time we're like well because she would have had to be back to her house early from Wade's because we're like she's like if I stay with you guys for the night I got to be back in the morning to do the move and are you guys going to be up to to like drive me kind of thing and we're like yeah we'll make that happen right and but that obviously never occurred I try to put myself in the shoes of these young guys. You were all young, partying. And yes, maybe you were a little reckless, naive. I think we all kind of just figured she would make either make her way home, let us know what's going on. But then we didn't hear anything. You know, the night went on, the morning came, and then that's when it started to come to light that she hadn't gone home. You know, we got phone calls. I can't remember uh, who got who. who had phoned, but they were asking if we had seen her. And of course we had seen her, but she had never made it home. Your friend is missing. So then of course I'm phoning Dallas. Dallas is phoning Wade. Like it did like, what's going on? Have you heard anything? And I mean, this, this was before social media too. So it was, there was a lot of gray area. 
At that point, you're still hoping that things are going to turn out okay. But as the days go on, your worry mounts. It wasn't Lisa's style, that I, at least that I know of, to, to disappear for a couple days out on you know, a, a, you know, a party. Maybe she met somebody at that party that she liked and was that she knew and they ended up going somewhere else, a different girlfriend, who knows at that point. That, that, that's kind of where, where my mind frame was any, anyway, was like, well, maybe just maybe she, you know, ended up having a few more drinks, went to a different girlfriend's house. You know, she's sleeping it off. We'll see her tonight. We'll hear from her tomorrow morning, that kind of thing. Jason is confirming a timeline Don Young has already laid out to me. But then tomorrow morning came and the next morning came and still nobody had heard from her. The, the police contacted me and uh, we did an interview and I explained to them what had happened. That was pretty quick, within within days, within a few days. And I know that they had interviewed Dallas. I know they interviewed Wade. It's early on when the police know the circumstances in which Lisa left behind her friends. They know about the Red Jag guy. Yeah, though that was definitely a topic of conversation with, with right away. Like anybody we spoke to, it's like, "What? Well, Red Jaguar guy?" Because we didn't know his name. That was his, that was his name to us. It's been his name to me until about uh, a month ago when I learned his name. So, Red Red Jaguar guy, you know, was with with her. Who knows Red Jaguar guy? Where's Red Jaguar guy from? We've never seen him, and we know flipping everybody. So, you know, who is this guy? I've interviewed at least a dozen people who have described driving around searching for Lisa in those early days. Jason, too, is out looking for his friend. Her phone's just straight, like, to voicemail. There's no... She wasn't answering. We drove around, kind of looking at some of the more popular haunts, so to say, but no, nothing. Just without a trace type of thing. There was just nothing. So everybody, everybody's scrambling around, and Lisa ran in her own circles too. So, I mean, she's got her family on one side looking for friends on this side looking for friends on this side looking for, and with, and I, you know, like I said, there's no social media. So there was no real, we didn't, none of us all banded together. So there's just different factions of different people looking or trying to get, get answers. Like who's, who's the red Jaguar guy? What party could she have been at? Where could she have gone? You know, who, what friend is missing out of the circle right now that she could be with right now? As Jason looks back on this horrific time, he wrestles with guilt. You know, I look back and I think there's like a lot, there's different regrets. And I'm sure that I know Dallas felt a lot of them, you know, over the years before he passed, we don't, you know, conversation would come up quite frequently of like how things could have played out differently or how we could have changed the outcome. You know, there's, we, we didn't phone the police, like, you know, but it, we, at the time when, when she's like, Hey, this dude's, you know, not letting me leave the party. It, you know, do we phone, did you, should we, we should have phoned the police. Clearly we should have, but we didn't, but it also, it didn't translate at the time to be a situation where we thought we should phone the police, but, but that's because we didn't have a, a loss of trust I guess in everything was everybody gambled does that make sense so we didn't think that uh, 
We didn't think that that was a situation. That's not Nanaimo. That's not our scene. That's not, you know, this guy's just being a dick. She'll, we'll see her in, a, in an hour when, you know, we'll, or she's going to go home and she will see her tomorrow when, when she's done moving or, and we just didn't see her. In the years to come, he and Dallas talked frequently about what they did and didn't do that night. It was generally about how we could have made things different. And I think a lot of it was just discussing some of the guilt that we all carry for not making different decisions that night. It's like, you know, I, I to this day, I, I still feel terrible that we didn't make different choices or somebody didn't go with them to the subway or they're, they're, the choices that were made were the ones that were made. But could they have been different? And would they have, would Lisa still be here with us right now? You know, how much of a role did did our choices play in the fate of the outcome of this? As for the red jag guy, Christopher William Adair, Jason never sees him again. The last memory he has of him is waving goodbye as he drives off with Lisa to the subway. He recalls thinking, hey, there goes that nice guy taking Lisa to get food. None of us ever seeked him out, and it probably would have been in Chris's best interest not to run into Dallas after that night. And that's probably part of the reason. You know, the, the police didn't really ever tell us anything. It's just always been re- 20 years later, it's still some veiled umbrella that we don't get to see underneath. You know, what, what details they have. So everybody still has to play a guessing game. Nobody shares the information. To me, that's insane, especially this long. Like just, but they play their game their way. But that's you know what I mean. For 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 Dallas to to seek Chris out, I mean he he would have. I know Dallas. He would have personally interrogated Chris until he got the answers. And that's not because Dallas is a mean, evil guy. That's because Dallas would have wholeheartedly wanted nothing but answers as to where Lisa is. Dallas's life goes sideways in later years. I think that it had a lot to do with some of the lifestyle changes that he made afterwards. He made some some choices that weren't the best. And I won't say it's a, you know, 100% because of that, that situation, but it, it definitely didn't help. I mean, I, everybody has skeletons in their closet. You know, uh, Dallas chose a a route to deal with him that clearly wasn't healthy and didn't help him in the end. There are drugs, there's some criminality, and ultimately, there is a sudden tragic death on the side of the highway at 38 years old. I think that her disappearing definitely weighed, like, the helplessness, the feeling of helplessness afterwards, of knowing that he could have gone with them, like I said, or, or even refuse, even refuse to let him take her. Be like, nah, we'll walk her down, or argued harder to have her eat a salad out of the fridge, or you know, just walk down to the the subway on the first phone call, or like at least at that point we knew where she was. We, you know, we could have maybe it would have maybe she still would have been there in 15, 20 minutes if we had thrown our shoes on and ripped out the door. But as much as Dallas Hully's life and death are intertwined in Lisa's story, it is Lisa who Jason now wants to keep the focus on. 
this is Lisa's forum and I want nothing more than, than to, you know, have closure for, for the family, for everybody. You know, any information I've said, if it helps, hopefully it does. As for how he remembers Lisa that night. You know, she's wearing pretty clothes. She's a pretty girl and she was really, really happy. She was like upbeat, super upbeat that night. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime Season 1. Where is Lisa? Please take a moment to rate and review this podcast.